This is Anne Fremantle introducing the president of American PEN, Penn, the poet Muriel Rukeyser. What is Penn? Penn is an independent world association of writers. The initials PEN stand for poets, playwrights, essayists, editors, novelists, and by implication of the initials for all writers. Penn was founded in London in 1921 by John Galsworthy, who was its first international president. American Penn was founded in 1922 in New York with Booth Tarkington as its first president. Among later presidents of American Penn have been Robert Frost, Dorothy Thompson, Marchette Schutt, B.J. Schutt, and Leonid Dell. Last year's president of American Penn was the novelist Jerzy Kosinski. This year's president of American Penn, who is with us today, is the poet Muriel Rukeyser. What is Penn? What does Penn do? Penn exists to promote worldwide friendship and intellectual cooperation among men and women of letters. Penn has no politics, but it is against the imprisonment of writers for political reasons. In a resolution submitted by American Penn, by the American Penn Center to the International Penn Executive in Vienna in November 1975, Penn declared itself, quote, against the use of imprisonment, torture, isolation from family, deprivation of books and writing materials, or any form of coercion or bodily harm as answer to writing of any kind. Ideas shall be answered with ideas. Penn is a purely literary association which assists writers in practical ways, with copyright problems, with insurance problems, with getting better deals for translators, with helping young writers to become better known, with giving prizes and promoting meetings between writers in different countries and by honoring visiting writers here. Penn has over 10,000 members in 60 countries of Africa, Asia, Europe, North and South America, and Australia. American Penn, which is non-profit and tax-exempt, has currently 1,500 members living all over the United States. American Penn headquarters are in New York. Membership of Penn is by invitation of the membership committee this invitation is extended to published writers of demonstrative accomplishment. Now, Muriel Rukeyser will talk about some of the issues with which Penn is concerned, and then she will read some of her poetry here. Muriel, you've done a lot of traveling for Penn. Will you tell us something about your trip to Korea? Thank you, Anne. I began the presidency of this year's term of PEN by going to Korea on an extraordinary journey. I cannot speak as a Korean man poet in solitary, confined for his work in poetry, in the writing of belief, in his declaration of conscience, and in his terrific satires. This like, is Kim. This is Kim Chi-ha, the poet who is made a curious, strong kind of friendship between many people and Korea that hardly existed before. We feel it here. When I went to Japan afterwards, I knew they felt it in Japan with Korea through Kim Chi-ha. And in the support of Kim Chi-ha that has come from writers and from other people all over the world, one sees the extraordinary bonds that this kind of poetry, this kind of belief, and actually the suffering that has gone with it has opened to us. 
Were you able to do anything for Kim? I haven't the faintest idea. I had long interviews with cabinet ministers. I saw the marvelous Cardinal Kim. I saw the family of Kim Chiha. I saw the PEN people in Korea. I saw university people. And everywhere I went, I talked for the life of Kim Chiha because at that moment, he was arrested. The charge was not yet made. The trial, which has never been held, was due to be held during that week. And the fear was that he would be tried and executed in one day. But he was being tried for his poetry, not for his political action. It was uh, what they as a writer. They say that he was in prison as a political man, but immediately the government people will start talking and start quoting from his poems. They know the five bandits. They know quotations from the Declaration of Conscience. They will say, see this word, liberation, liberation. And I said, everybody uses the word liberation. And the minister, the cabinet minister, said, no, you know what I mean. You know how the communists use liberation. You know how it was used in Vietnam. And I said that the bloodbath that everybody who dreaded the word liberation had said it had not taken place. Well, they said, this is what we found among the papers of Kim Chi Ha. They did not say that they had ransacked Kim Chi Ha's house, not only for these papers, but for his poems and the play that they found. And he is in a cell in the Westgate prison in Seoul. Again, he's still uh, there? He's still there all during this time that we have been in New York. He's been in solitary. He's been without books, without writing materials, which is now the political penalty for writing. Kim Chi Ha's family gave me, when I left, a big package that I didn't open until I reached this country. It had in it a shining scarlet coverlet covered with the Asian flowers. And I have slept under that every night during this time, knowing that there is a poet in Korea in solitary as we talk. And probably no coverlet. No coverlet and no change in his condition. Uh, the government there has changed. The cabinet ministers, two of the three cabinet ministers I spoke to have been removed from the cabinet. President Park has not answered the petitions, the requests, the arguments, mm. the urgent appeals for the life and release of Kim Chi Ha. But there is this central figure of the poet in solitary. Well, if only he could have at least writing materials, because prison literature is part of the great literature of, of all time. If only all of it. If only he could see his son, who was born during this time, uh -huh. whom I saw as a strong infant just beginning to run. All that time he's been in jail. He's been in, ja in jail, in a huge jail. Well, now tell me, you've also, I believe, uh, written some poems yourself about Kim's situation, about uh, the situation in Korea. Well, I cannot write Kim's situation. I cannot really write 
the situation in Korea. I saw it in that swift first glimpse of a woman going to a country to which I had never gone, seeing marvelous things, feeling also the dread that everybody there feels. One of the missionaries came to see me in my hotel room and at once did something that I did not do, and that is uh, touched all the pictures on the wall. One of them did not move. Another person came to that hotel room and said at once, turn on the music so we can talk. The KCIA is mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. They stopped us at the foot of the street when we went to the Church of Galilee, which is where the dismissed professors and the wife of the former president and many other people go for their prayer meetings. And they ask us our names and our place of origin. And it is all wide open and an extraordinary feeling of the hand around the mm. throat. But they were introduced to me as professor so-and-so dismissed from. And finally I said, this is a degree now, an academic degree that we <laughs> honor. <laughs> Yes. Well, did you did you write this poem about the, the, the yourself visiting Kim? Can you read that well, poem? Well, I'm still writing it. <laughs> I have it here uh, in handwriting. I haven't typed it. It isn't quite at that place. Although I'm I'm turning it in to the publisher. It's the title poem of the book that I've just finished. It's called The Gates. It's the gates of self. It's the gates of the body. I suppose. It's certainly the gates of that prison in Seoul. And I know only the waiting outside the prison, in the mud, making a kind of vigil. It was really waiting in the mud. I can't call it a vigil. <laughs> but being there at the gates of that place, looking for the poet, the house of the poet. I think of the early things out of my childhood, little journeys to the homes of the great. Well, little journeys to the home of the great in a prison in Seoul. Well, before we get to your wonderful poetry, I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit about what Penn's doing for that poor man who's been dismissed from the State University in New York and is in Ghana. I know that uh, we in Penn have been trying to do something. Muriel, is there anything can be done about him? Will you tell us about him? Well, I'd like to talk about him, Anne. I'd like also to talk about the work that's before us in Penn in this country because several of the ongoing programs are in the center of the work. And they are the work for writers in prison, and they are the work of helping writers in financial need. And these two programs have always been centers for us. The things that are happening now are the opening up of Penn, uh, one to the membership. We begin with open meetings for members now so that the members will have an active voice and will figure out the function of a writer's fellowship. The other is to spread Penn, which is an international organization and is here a national organization, but in truth, the large part of our membership lives in and around New York. And part of the work now is regional, to carry this across the country. And we are having a group of conferences, of talks, uh, on the life of the writer, the actual working life of writers this year. The first of these is in Washington, then we go to San Francisco, and there will be the other conferences. So that we hope to reach out 
to writers who perhaps have not known what Penn is about and who can see it now as a fellowship of writers, not only writers. There are many uh, organizations of writers and very good ones, and there are many conferences of writers, but this is a special breed of writer, the Penn writer. It is a writer doing her or his own work and also concerned with the life of other writers and other people so that we can think in freedom, write in freedom, speak in freedom, and have whatever comes of that. Well, that is terribly important, isn't it, that the writer should be committed not only to his own writing but to the writing of every other writer? I think so. I think we're bound to each other, as we are by reading, by speaking, as I speak to you and you speak to me. And this is always a kind of translation. The work of translation has been a deeply important part of Penn, but translation in the, in the United States is very, very extensive. It's in the background of the lives of many, many of us whose families come from other countries. It's in the background even of the English among us who come <laughs> here. Even those with the limey accent. Yes, <laughs> even those with the glorious accent who find that there is translation, as there, as there is translation, say, in receiving a letter or writing a letter. And this translation of words is deep in the writer's function, is more and more conscious in the work of Penn. That's quite true, and uh, I think it's very important when we get someone to go back to, what was the name of the Ghanaian? Kofi Aounor. Kofi Aounor. He's working as a uh, faculty member at Stony Brook. He's a tenure member of the faculty, and he went back to Ghana this year for a year of teaching there. Now, he has disappeared. We know it's been confirmed that he's been arrested, and that's all that's been confirmed. We've done things like cabling to Shirley Temple Black, Speaking to the Ghanaian ambassador here, and nothing further than the fact that he is arrested has but been able to be brought through. But I think it's terribly important that Penn should be there to do this, don't Penn you? Penn is there to Penn do it. Penn is there, and but it exists. But we want people to come into this work and to take it further. And not only, as you say, internationally, but also nationally, that Penn should help writers who are indigent, for instance, and ill and old. I think Penn's been wonderful about that. There's actually a fund, isn't there? For we used to call it the Needy Writers Fund, didn't we? And <laughs> then we found we could take off the word needy. needy. <laughs> and if we called it Writers Fund, that would do very, very well because many of us are stuck again and again. And the fact that other writers and other people can help at those moments and that many people pay back such funds or send them on to other people through us. And there was a very nice idea that when one got a contract, uh, any writer who got a contract should try and make a voluntary contribution to Penn for those who weren't so lucky. Isn't oh, that I so? didn't know about that. Oh, yes. There was an idea that one should give 1% yes. of one's contract. And yes. I think that's a marvelous and idea. And 1% can be very little or enormous exactly. for a writer. We go all the way up and down the line in these things exactly. as in all things. Well, I think that's a very good idea. It's just a voluntary idea, but it's an, it shows that Penn is concerned uh, and committed. Now, Muriel, tell us something about how you came to be so committed. I, I know that uh, you, your poems are some of the most marvelous and committed poems I know, but were you always, all your life, uh, as well as a poet, were you always a committed poet? I don't know how to say how I became committed or even how I am committed now. 
It seemed to me very natural. Uh, I have to do it in my own terms as a person living in New York, uh, as a woman living in New York, and behind that as a small girl, small child in New York, seeing the things in the parks and on the streets that everybody sees, the fact that the city changes so rapidly from block to block, the fact that the neighborhood is really a unit of some kind here, and that there are many, many small neighborhoods that give way to neighborhoods of quite another kind. And the fact of contrast is, I think, what I'm about, of contrast and binding and linkage and collision in the film terms, and that these can be felt so closely. I grew up uh, on Riverside Drive and West End Avenue, and the river was on one side, and Amsterdam and Columbus on the other, and we played in infant gangs. I don't know whether you did anything like that in England, <laughs> and, but we had tiny infant gangs in which the children of one apartment house had their hands set against the children of all other apartment houses who were bound together in uh, fun and torture. We had infant initiations, and we learned about the black hand, what is called the mafia now in those ways. And out of that, and out of the people just below us in Hell's Kitchen, and out of the school that I went to, Ethical, uh, what you call commitment now, came very easily as uh, imagination, or a living, or a living in New York which is what I think of that. It's and that grew very easily from place after place. Part and parcel of your whole being. Well, as one is... As you grew. A neighborhood yes. by neighborhood yes. in oneself. Yes. And also entire as world or universe or person. I'd like to read one of the early poems to begin with because I think it probably, if it, if it gets anywhere, says some of the beginning. This is called This Place in the Ways. And it goes back far. I don't think I'm writing this kind of thing now. This place in the ways. Having come to this place, I set out once again on the dark and marvelous way from where I began. Belief in the love of the world, woman, spirit, and man. Having failed in all things, I enter a new age. Seeing the old ways as toys, the houses of a stage painted and long forgot, and I find love and rage, rage for the world as it is, but for what it may be more love now than last year, and always less self-pity, since I know in a clearer light the strength of the mystery. And at this place in the ways I wait for song, my poem hands still on the paper, all night long, poems in throat and hand, asleep, and my storm beating strong. This could be a very New York poem, but perhaps it goes out from that. It started for me in New York and in Hanoi, St. Roach. For that I never knew you, I only learned to dread you. For that I never touched you, they told me you are filth. They showed me by every action to despise your kind. For that I saw my people making war on you, I could not tell you apart. 
one from another. For that in childhood I lived in places clear of you. For that all the people I knew met you by crushing you, stamping you to death. They poured boiling water on you. They flushed you down. For that I could not tell one from another, only that you were dark, fast on your feet, and slender, not like me. For that I did not know your poems, and that I do not now know any of your sayings, and that I cannot speak or read your language, and that I do not sing your songs, and that I do not teach our children to eat your food, or know your poems, or sing your songs, but that we say you are filthing our food, but that we know you not at all. Yesterday, I looked at one of you for the first time. You were lighter than the others in color. That was neither good nor bad. I was really looking for the first time. You seemed troubled and witty. Today I touched one of you for the first time. You were startled. You ran. You fled away, fast as a dancer, light, strange, and lovely to the touch. I reach, I touch, I begin to know you. That was very recent. Uh, this is the one that you spoke of, so I read this yes, to you as yes. well as everybody else, Anne. This is one of my favorites. This is called What Do We See? And I think it began for me in something that Danilo Dolce says that he says to the children in Sicily at the school that he runs there. He asks the children what they see, and he asks them what they don't see. And I think as a way of talking, as a way of... This is called What Do We See? And it has a cadenza for the listener in it. And when it comes, I will invite you to move in any way you move in your own imagination from the last place in the poem to the next place. What do we see? When they're decent about women, they're frightful about children. When they're decent about children, they're rotten about artists. When they're decent about artists, they're vicious about whores. What do we see? What do we not see? When they're kind to whores, they're death on communists. When they respect communists, they're foul to bastards. When they're human to bastards, they mock at hysterectomy. What do we see? What do we not see? When they're decent about surgery, they bomb the Vietnamese. When they're decent to Vietnamese, they're frightful to police. When they're human to police, they rough up lesbians. What do we see? What do we not see? When they're decent to old women, they kick homosexuals. When they're good to homosexuals, they can't stand drug people. When they're calm about drug people, they hate all Germans. What do we see? What do we not see? And here comes the cadenza about which we spoke before, in which we're asked to move from the last thing we heard to when they're decent to Jews, they dread the blacks. When they know blacks, there's always something. Roaches and the future and children and all potential can't stand themselves. Will we never see? Will we ever know? 
Tell us about the new books that you're doing now. Well, the new book starts with many short poems and a couple of long ones, including Double Ode, and then it moves to this unfinished group of poems called The Gates. And you know now what the gates are. I think they're more than I know in doing it. And I'd like to read one or two pieces from it. It's unfinished. It's in handwriting. Can you read your own handwriting? I can read my own handwriting. (laughs) I'm one of the lucky ones. But if I stumble, you'll know it's, it's in reading the handwriting. Walking the world to find the poet of these cries. But this walking is flying the skies of all the air. Walking the world through the crowds at airports, this city of hills, this island ocean and now this city. Walking under the sharp mountains through the sharp city, whose rulers take the grip, whose marvelous people are hard and grief. Walking the world is driving the roads of houses, endless houses, and the fast dreams and the child's house. Walking at last the slow walk to the prison gate, the mud, the poet, the mud, the poet, deep in that dark, in fierce perpetual light, the torture birth. I'll do only broken pieces of this. Here's a short one. You grief, woman. You gave me a scarlet coverlet, thick sewn with all the flowers, and all the while your poet sleeps in stone. Grief, woman, the little waves of this coverlet flash bright and red soft over my sleep, all night flickering while the poet waits in solitary. All your vigil, woman, I sent up in the night. In long despair we work, write, speak, pray, call to others. Free our night, free our lives, free our poet. Thank you very much, Mira Rukaiza. That's what PEN is all about, of which you are the president of the American PEN. And that is what writers must do for each other, to free themselves and free each other and to try and arrive at a total freedom Thank of you. expression. Shall, shall we tell the man where to ask for more information about PEN? Here's the address, <laughs> PEN American Center, 156 Fifth Avenue, New York City, 10010. The telephone number 212-255-1977. Thank you very much, Miura Rukaiza. It's been a great privilege having you with us today.